This morning we get to dig into God's Word as we start a new series on the book of Joshua called Following His Lead, Stepping Out in Faith for the Faithful One. But before we jump into that, how many of you like camping? Anyone like camping? That is a huge amount. I guess that's why we get so many at the, the church camping trip. How many of you love tent camping? A lot less hands, but still, still a few hands. I can remember a few years ago, we were, um, actually I think it was the college camping trip up in the Sierras, a little chilly up there, and we were still in a tent at that point. Mark was just a little tyke, and I, I know he still is a little tyke, but um, he was probably two at the time. And I can remember that whole weekend maybe getting about an hour and a half of uninterrupted sleep. And Susie, the same thing. And so by the end of the weekend, we're like, uh, and, and I can, because it's cold and Mark had a habit of um, not liking anything on him. I don't know if any of your kids are like that. And so about every hour we'd wake up and he'd be completely out of the sleeping bag and it's 30 some degrees outside and in a tent, it's 30 some degrees inside. And he'd be crying, and so we'd alternate of who got up and took care of him, and um, small, small situation. I can remember on the way home, Susie said to me, I will never <laughs> go tent camping again <laughs> with a child this age. I thought, okay, you know, she's, she's processing the weekend and, and blowing off some steam. <laughs> Lots of chuckles there. Two days later, I get a call. I'm sitting in my office here, and I get a call. She said, I found a tent trailer. <laughs> Come and get it. <laughs> Long story short, we now have a tent trailer. It has a heater. We're off the ground, and we still love camping. But I, I, I thought of that story, and I thought of our background with tent camping. As we come to the book of Joshua, the setting here is a group of people who are living in tents. And we, we have a, a, a number of fabric panels up here to represent the idea of a Bedouin tent because this people for 40 years lived in tents. And so picture the setting. Picture as a young child if the only place you had ever known living in was a tent. And every few days or every week or so or maybe a little more as God led, you'd move and you'd pick up your tent and move to another place. But you're not moving around in the Sierras or beautiful mountainous country. You're moving around in a barren, dry wilderness where there is little water. And, and in fact, you move to, to water sources. Little food, so little in fact that God provided food every day. And that's all you've known in your existence. And I think about that. I think about that kind of lifestyle. And it's foreign to us because we have roots, we, we want to settle, we have places to live, and that's part of our identity. But imagine during those 40 years that you keep hearing stories. God's promised He'll take us into a land. God's promised He will settle us. And some people are telling the story of 40 years ago or, or during it, that time where we almost got to go into the land. And we sent people in to spy out the land. And unfortunately, we didn't think God could take us in. And so we said no. And so now we're here. Imagine 
wandering that wilderness knowing that the promised land at any given time is only a two to three day walk. Maybe even at times a one day walk. But God is not letting you go in. And throughout this whole time, God will bring us into the land. This generation is judged, but God will bring us into the land. And then you get to the end of the 40 years and Moses begins to lead you up the eastern side of the the land and you have some, some conquests there and you're about to enter the land and Moses, the only leader you've ever known, dies. And now you as a young man or young woman are like, what do we do now? What is going to happen? What is God doing? And it's at that point that the book of Joshua starts. Turn with me to Joshua 1, 1 and 2. And as we turn there, our our goal today is to give us an introduction. And so we're going to look at some of the historical context of the book of Joshua and dig into some of the things I just said a little bit deeper. I want to look into the, the character of Joshua. Who is Joshua? So we understand a little bit more this man that is now leading God's children. And then we want to look at some of the broad themes of Joshua this morning. Things to look for as we study through the book over the next three months. But Joshua 1, 1 and 2 begins right after Deuteronomy ends, right after the death of Moses. And we read, And the death of Moses, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. And in two verses, God says the time is here. The time is now. The promises that I've given you for 40 years and actually we'll see beyond 40 years, all the way back to Abraham, the promises I have been giving you are about to be fulfilled. I read that, I'm like, wow. Especially as I read through the the five books before this and looked at the anticipation of this moment This is a wow moment for the children of Israel. It's going to happen. And it's interesting to see who the character is of these two verses. The main character isn't Moses. The main character isn't Joshua. Who's speaking? The Lord. Yahweh. And he says, now therefore arise, and he gives instruction. Go over this Jordan. And Joshua had to be thinking, okay, I don't know how that's going to happen. You and all this people into the land, and what does it say? I am giving to them. And that's a key to understanding the book of Joshua. This isn't the land that you will take for yourselves. This is the land I am giving to you, God says. Again, He is the primary character of the book of Joshua. His salvation. His gift of the land. You and all this people into the land I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. And so to understand Joshua, we want to look at these things I mentioned. The historical context, the character of Joshua, and some of the themes. And we start with the historical context. Where does this fall in the biblical flow? And we know about Adam in the the beginning that, that God created Adam and Eve. And we can go a little bit forward and know that Noah was there and Noah and his family was saved on the ark. And then a little bit later after that, we come to a point in time where God chooses a people for Himself. And he calls Abraham. Turn to Genesis 12. Genesis 12. 
And this, these verses are the beginning to understanding how important the book of Joshua is. Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse 1. Because God now calls out a people to Himself, makes a covenant with them, gives them promises, says, you will be My people. I will be your God. And this is through the Old Testament who He works through to affect a world for Him. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So He says, Go! It's time to leave. I'm going to show you a land. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be, shall be blessed. And we know eventually that culminates with Jesus Christ. As a descendant of Abraham, all nations, all families on the face of this earth have an opportunity for salvation. Jump down to verse 6 and 7 of that same chapter. And so we know in verse 4, Abraham went. Abram went and, and he obeyed. In verse 6, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah, at the time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And so from the calling of Abram, we know that God promised him a land. And as he traveled and went into the, the land of Israel, God said, this is the land. And we'll look at some more verses about that a little bit later. We know that Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had Jacob, and that's the lineage that the, the children of Israel is, is being built from. Jacob had 12 sons, one of those being Joseph. And Joseph, we know the story that that God used Joseph to preserve his people. And Joseph was taken into captivity into Egypt by the sovereign hand of God so that he would be in a place and at the right time to save Israel and to save his family from, from death under the famine. And we know that, that Joseph interpreted the dreams for the Pharaoh and knew that the famine was coming and there would be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And at that point in time, the Pharaoh put Joseph in charge. And Joseph stored up food. And, and through this whole process, during the famine years, Joseph's family came to Egypt out of the land. And they came to Egypt for food, and Joseph took care of them. But we know as the story goes on, from there, another Pharaoh arose that did not know Joseph and did not know his family. And so the, the children of Israel were subjected to slavery. For the next 400, 430 years, they were in slavery in the land of Egypt. Wondering about these promises. Wondering about the land. And then Moses comes on the scene. And Moses is at the end of that time of slavery and God uses Moses as his leader, as his humble leader, to bring his people out of Egypt back, hopefully, to the promised land. That was the direction they were heading. And that's where we have the Exodus, and you can read about that through the book of Exodus and how God brought them out of Egypt miraculously. And they, they came to the land. And they, they came to the border of the land. And we know a couple of incidents happened there. One is that they sent out the spies that I mentioned. And twelve men went out. And ten of the twelve came back and said, the people are too big. Yeah, it's a great land, 
but we're going to get killed if we go into that land. Rather stay out here in the wilderness than die in the land of milk and honey. But two men, two men, Caleb and Joshua, said the land is incredible. It's the land God has promised to us. Yeah, there's, there's, there's giants in the land, there's people in the land, there's obstacles, but our God is bigger and our God is greater. He's the one that gives us the land. Let's go. And we'll look at that a little bit more as we look at the history of Joshua's life. Just after that time, we also know that Moses, in, in a, an act of anger, disobeyed God. And the, the people were clamoring for water as water is, is um, sparse in that land in the wilderness. And they're thirsty. Moses goes to God in Numbers 20, verses 6 through 12. I encourage you to read that this week. Moses goes to God and God says, speak to the rock. Now, earlier God had had Moses hit a rock with his staff. In this case, he says, speak to the rock and water will come out. And people, and you know, part of why God does this is that he will be glorified. And he comes out and the people are angry and Moses gets angry and he hits the rock with his staff. God, in His grace and mercy, still allows water to come out. But at that point, God told Moses, because you have disobeyed Me, you will not enter the land. That's how important obedience is. We're going to see that through Joshua. Because you have not obeyed Me, because you have struck the rock instead of speaking to it, you will not enter the land. But Moses continues to lead, and he leads through these 40 years And then we come to the end of Moses' life. And turn over to Deuteronomy 34. Deuteronomy 34. And we see the end of Moses' life. It's helpful to read this chapter as we come into the book of Joshua. Deuteronomy 34, verse 1. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev, the plain that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. He's reminding him of the promise of the land. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Bet Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed, his vigor unabated. Isn't that a great description? The end of your life? Moses... um, And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Love that description. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight 
of all Israel. And that's the setup for the book of Joshua. I can only imagine Joshua following a leader like Moses. A leader that was described in that way. But God chose Joshua to do just that. And so throughout the book of Joshua, we'll see the people enter the land, the conquest and the settlement of the Israelites in the land. And we'll see the people of Israel transition from a nomadic people living in tents to by the end of Joshua, largely a settled people, farming the land and in homes. So it's a a transition from tents to stones as they built out of stones at the time. And the three major sections that we'll see in Joshua, chapters 1 through 12, will deal with the conquest of the land. And we'll have stories that are familiar to us, stories that we've heard in Sunday school, that I hope as we study the book in its entirety, we place into the context of God's faithfulness and what God is doing with His people. Chapters 13 through 21, we'll see the allotments of the land, which is the chapters in the book that you skip over sometimes. Okay, that's 200 city names that I don't know how to pronounce and I have no idea where they are. I don't see Garden Grove there. But it's an important section when we start to understand that this is God giving His people the land and fulfilling His promises. And so that section shows us that God is a God that keeps His promises. And then finally at the end, there's a call to commit in chapters 22-24. through There's a reflection on God's work and a response to God's work. So that sets the the history. To understand a little bit of the culture of the land, the people of the land at that point in time were the Canaanites. So this was not an empty land. This was a land that had people in it. And the Canaanites were an evil pagan people. They were a people that had turned their back on God. One author said, "...the brutality and the immorality of the Canaanite gods was unsurpassed in our present knowledge of Near Eastern gods during that period." And so their gods and what their gods stood for, and then consequently the worship practices to worship those gods were horrid. There was a lack of morality. And that lack of morality was reflected in the religious rites to serve those gods. There's evidence that indicates that the people at the time practiced child sacrifice, religious prostitution, snake worship. And they had all kinds of things going on, all in rebellion against God. And so this was a pagan people that had rejected God completely. And that is the the land that God brings them into. Another thing to understand is, is throughout our study of Joshua, we're going to see they came to this city. They came to that city and they conquered that city. And so we see Jericho and we see the city of Ai and we see several other cities. And we have to understand the context here. Our thought of city is what? Garden Grove, right? Anaheim. And, and we think, I don't know how many people are in Garden Grove now. Does anyone know the population? What is that? 145,000 people. That is not the context that we have to understand the, the story of Joshua in. When they came to a city, cities were actually very small and cities were independent. They called them city-states. And they were often built on a hill or on a mound. Sometimes we call that a tell because different civilizations would get destroyed and then they'd rebuild on top of that because there were reasons why this was a strategic location. Sometimes because it was defensible. Sometimes for water source, trade routes. 
sometimes for the ability to farm. And so they would rebuild on, on this mound this city. Now to give you an idea of sizes of city, and th this helped me, I, I want you to picture Disneyland, okay? The average city in the land of, of Canaan at the time was probably about 20% of Disneyland. So maybe one of the lands. <laughs> Disneyland's about 85 acres right now. Some of the cities were 9 acres, 15 acres. Now, now you had a number of people living in there in, in close proximity, but we're not talking huge cities. And we'll talk about that more a little bit when we get to Jericho and marching around Jericho. That, that brings new meaning. The one of the largest cities of the time, a, a, a tell that we visit on our Israel trip, Gezer. Gezer, one of the largest cities, is about a third of the size of Disneyland. So, so picture that as you walk around Disneyland next time. You know, try to redeem the time and think, <laughs> think scripture. Think, wow, this is about the size of Jericho as, as you enter Tomorrowland or something like that. Um, walk around it, see if it falls down. No. Um. <laughs> but that's helpful to understand the, the culture of which we're talking about. Each of these was a city-state where they had a, a ruler over that city, and we may call them a mayor or something like that. They called them a king of this city because the cities rarely worked together. Now we see later in Joshua they actually did come together to try to stop the Israelites at one point. But they were largely independent cities and at the point of the conquest under the rule of Egypt. And so they, would, um, they were devoted to Egypt. They would send taxes to Egypt. And so that's the, the arena in which the children of Israel enter the land. Date of the conquest, I have that in your notes. There's two possibilities. They're strongly debated in, in scholarly circles. The, the first um, possibility, which is the earlier date, has a conquest of about 1406 B.C. or 15th century B.C., 1406. And that view is really based on some scriptural evidence. In 1 Kings 6.1, we see some timing given that the Exodus was 480 days before a certain point in Solomon's reign. And we know that entering the Promised Land was about 40 years after the Exodus because of the, the disobedience. And so we can come up with a date of about 1406. There's some other evidence for that in Judges as you look at some other timings. Um, we have an inscription that they found and some archaeological evidence about the 13th century, 100 or 200 years later, that already shows Israel settled in the land. And so um, if you're into archaeology and dating, this is some, some fun stuff that you can study a little bit more. A late date, the other date that some people say, is a conquest around 1220 B.C. So we're not talking a huge difference, 180 years approximately. Um, and the Exodus in that case would be around 1260 B.C. And this all hinges of when the Exodus was. And there's a couple of evidences they use. In Exodus 1.11, you see that the Israelites, while they were in slavery, built the, the city of Ramses. And so they think that might have been under the rule of Ramses II. And, and he ruled more in that time period. Um, and then some archaeological evidence where they, during that time they suddenly found an influx of villages popping up, an influx of population into the land of Canaan. Those are the two options. I lean towards the first the early date, because I, I believe God's Word is, is God's Word. 
And it's without error, and the, the dating we see there points to an earlier date. The archaeological evidence is, is actually uncertain for a later date because we know there were battles that continued throughout Judges and other times. And so just to look at a, a layer of archaeology and say there was a battle here doesn't allow you to specify which battle. And so I think the evidence is, is stronger on the first. Um, but that's a, that's a fun... If you're into to dates and things, that's a great study to, to dig into a little bit deeper. Either way, understand the Exodus really happened and the conquest really happened. And it happened historically as God's Word said. And we have not only God's Word for that, but we have archaeological evidence. And so... Um, these are, these are stories of what actually happened and how God led his people. So that's the historical background. Jumping to Joshua, and, and as Joshua is the leader and one of the central human figures of the book of Joshua, I think it's really helpful to look at his life, and we'll, we'll go through this pretty quickly. Again, you can spend more time studying. The verses are, are in your notes there that you can look at throughout the week. But Joshua 1.1 is not the first place we hear about Joshua. In fact, there's a long history. And so I put some points there. The first is, to, to understand Joshua, understand his name. The name Joshua means Yahweh is salvation, or Yahweh has saved. What an appropriate name for the book. What an appropriate name for Joshua, as Yahweh fulfills his promises and gives the people the land that was promised to them. Saves them from the wandering and brings them to settle the land. It's interesting that Joshua's name actually didn't start out as Joshua, though. It started out as um, Hoshua. And you see that in Numbers Numbers 13.16. Hosea, sorry. Hosea. Numbers 13.16. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea the son of Nun Joshua. And so Moses changed his name. And we see that throughout Scripture to designate how God is going to use this individual. And Hosea meant he will save. So a similar name. But he will save often used of just an ordinary person. And Moses changed his name to Yahweh will save. God will save. Because Joshua's life was to stand for following God's leading and being an agent of God's salvation. What a statement. What a statement. I can remember growing up, and and Dad would often say as he prayed with me and discipled me, you know, God has something for you. God wants to use you for His kingdom. And I can remember the impact that that had on me because I began to look for how is God going to use me. That, That description that Dad was investing in me became part of my heritage. And Moses is doing the same thing for Joshua here. God is salvation. Follow him. What a statement and what a name to live up to. One of the earliest times we see Joshua is in Exodus 17. And number two, he was a valiant military leader who defeated the Amalekites. And so entering the promised land was not his first go-around. In fact, the, the Amalekites came and fought Israel at Rephidim. And I'll read Exodus 17 for you. That's um, where Moses actually struck the rock and was supposed to and water came out. And so Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. 
So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses, his hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heavens. And it's interesting, we see so many things there. We see Joshua as a leader. Moses says, go choose men. Go lead men. And so right from the start, the very first battle after the Exodus, Joshua is leading the army. And we focus on Moses and his arms and Aaron and Hur holding them up. There's, and that, that's definitely a great focus of the story. But don't forget that Joshua was the one down in the valley fighting and leading the battle. This is the type of man that he was. He was a leader. In verse 10, he obeyed. He did what, what Moses said. He was a finisher. We saw that he, he completely overwhelmed them and he finished the battle. He trusted God. It would have been hard to trust God when Moses' arms fell. And you started to lose. But Joshua kept fighting. But what's interesting, he's already being groomed for leadership because the Lord, by God, the Lord said to Moses in verse 14, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua. And God is already telling Joshua, preparing Joshua for the task that he, he has for him. Number three, Joshua is Moses' assistant and servant. We saw that in Joshua 1.1. Joshua is described as Moses' assistant. And it, it looks as if Joshua was Moses' right-hand man, part, um, part and right there with Moses as God was dealing with him. So we get to the next one. Joshua was a witness on Mount Sinai. I love this one. He was a witness on Mount Sinai. He went to the top with Moses. Now whether he was actually there ta- when, when Moses was talking to God, we don't know. But we know he went to the top and came down from the top with Moses. And so he was a witness to this event, even if it was at a distance. In Exodus 24, 13 and 14, we read, So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. Behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. So on the way up to the mountain, the elders are with them, and Moses and Joshua leave the elders. Give some instructions for how camp is supposed to go while they're gone. And they go on up to Mount Sinai to be in the presence of God. And we know camp didn't quite go as they, they instructed and as God would have. And so in fact, as they're coming down from the mountain in Exodus 32:17, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, because they're, they're shouting and partying and, and rebelling against God, he said to Moses, there is noise of war in the camp. Remember, Joshua's a military guy. So he hears the noise and says, there's war! People are attacking us! And he doesn't know that it's just people turning their back on God and worshiping an idol and celebrating an idol. So he came down. But what an experience that had to be on Joshua to be there when the Ten Commandments were given. 
Number five there, he enjoyed God's presence. He enjoyed God's presence. The next chapter, Exodus 33, they come down and we know that Moses had set up a tent just outside at this point. This was before the tabernacle, but a tent of meeting with God where he would go and talk with God. And we, we read in Exodus 33.11, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. And it, it's just a simple phrase, but he and Joshua would go together to this tent. Moses would talk to God. Joshua would, would observe this. And in this case, Moses left to go back to camp to lead and Joshua's like, I'd like to stay here. I'm going to stay here with God. And you see an insight into his love for God, his devotion to God already at this point. He enjoyed God's presence. He learned shared leadership and humility by watching Moses. There was a point a little bit later where God instructed Moses to appoint 70 elders to aid Moses. And they all go to this tent of meeting with God and they received the Holy Spirit and prophesied, but two of the, these 70 weren't able to come. So they were back in camp and the Holy Spirit came on them. They're prophesying back in camp. And we pick it up in Numbers 11:27, and, and someone from camp runs and a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. What are you going to do is the idea. That, what's going on? Joshua steps in first. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them! It's a reminder of the Apostle John when people came and said, people are, are um, doing miracles in your name, Jesus. And John says, oh, you've got to stop them. And Jesus said, don't stop them. They're doing that in my name. Moses' answer in, in Numbers 11.29, But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put His Spirit on them. And we see Moses being willing to share his relationship with God. Wanting others to have that relationship with God. A shared leadership with these 70 elders. And so we see leadership principles already being handed down. A couple more events that are key to understanding Joshua. He was one of only two spies who spied out the land and gave a positive report. We've talked about that already. You can look up those verses there. But Joshua and Caleb came back and they they said, if the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. And Joshua got it. He got that it was God leading, God doing the work, and if God delights in you, He will work. And he says, only do not rebel against the Lord. I'm in Numbers 14. Verse 8, 9. Do not rebel against the Lord. And we know that the congregation was so angry that they took up stones to kill Caleb and Joshua. But the glory of the Lord appeared, in verse 10, at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And God stopped him and saved his life. So we see this progression through Joshua's life. A military man. A man devoted to God. Sometimes a little impetuous with, with, with Moses. We should do this. We should do this. 
but a man that's learning leadership. A man that was willing to trust God above all else as they spied out the land. And then finally, God chose Joshua to lead. God chose Joshua to lead. And in Numbers 27, we see, see Moses going to God saying, there needs to be another leader following me. Who will it be? And in verse 18 of Numbers 27, we, say, so that we read, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Eleazar, the priest, and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And we see Moses throughout that in Deuteronomy 31, those passages, Moses handing off the baton to Joshua, whom God had chosen to lead. I would love to sit and talk with Joshua. I'd love to sit and talk to this military man who trusted God, who was willing to do anything for God, who was suddenly thrust into leadership of a nation in one of the most significant times of their existence, where God brings them into the land and fulfills His promises. Because in Joshua 1, 1 and 2, the verses we started with, God says, Joshua, it's time to go. It's time to lead. Whether you're ready or not, doesn't matter because you follow me and I am leading. So that gives us some background to understand the book of Joshua, to understand the man Joshua. But four themes that we want to look for in, in, in our time through Joshua. Four themes, and as we look at the themes, that's how we begin to transition to how does Joshua apply to us today. The first theme, and I've, I've mentioned it over and over already this morning, because you can't talk about Joshua without talking about God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. He keeps His promises. Do we need to know that today? Because God is still the same God. The God that kept His promises to the children of Israel and went before them is still the same God that keeps His promises to us and that leads us. And so throughout the book of Joshua, we're going to see a focus on God's mighty acts on behalf of His people. We're going to see often wording that says God is giving the land to His people. It is His work. It is His hand. God fought for Israel. And the key there is, is they're following His leading. They're following His direction. But God always keeps His promises. We're called to trust Him. I've mentioned the land and the promises of the land. Let me just read about ten verses all throughout Genesis and Exodus to help us understand how the children of Israel would have viewed this. In Genesis 13, 14, and 15, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give you and to your offspring forever. Genesis 17, verse 8, And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. To Abraham's son, to Isaac, in Genesis 26, Sojourn in this land, 
and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. To Isaac's son Jacob in Genesis 28, may he give the blessings of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Jacob to Joseph, his son, in Genesis 48, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples, and will give you this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Genesis 50, Joseph now sharing with his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, out of Egypt, to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. We're going to see that in Joshua, where they, the children of Israel follow that. Exodus 3.8. Now God is talking um, to 400 years later to the people. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Exodus 6, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Think about all those verses. Picture children being read the law, the Torah, over and over. They would have heard these verses hundreds of times. Many of them have memorized large sections of of the law. This was not unfamiliar to them. It's every day as a child being said, this is promised to you. This is promised to you. And then as you grow up, as you study it, looking forward to this day. And God gave the land to them as a people. Turn to Joshua 21. The end of the book of Joshua. Joshua 21, verse 43. as they're recounting the work of God, and this is one of the the best sections to understand this theme of the book of Joshua. Joshua 21, verse 43. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that He swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side just as He had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. God is faithful. He was faithful to His promises. And Joshua, as we're going to see, that should remind you that He is faithful today. And so part of our title is we follow, we step out in faith for the faithful one. Because this idea that God is faithful is what allows us to obey. It's what allows us to trust Him. If I know for sure that God will keep His promises, that He is faithful, that He will do what He says, then why wouldn't I follow Him? Why wouldn't I trust Him? He is the only completely faithful one. And so our second theme is obedience. Obedience. God wants His people to trust Him and obey Him. 
We're going to see throughout Joshua, God repeatedly asks his people to step out in faith. Things that they don't understand. Go step into the Jordan. Trust me. See what happens. Walk around Jericho for seven days. Trust me. See what happens. Don't take some of that, that bounty. Don't take some of the loot from that city. That's mine. Do not touch it. Trust me and see what happens. And they didn't and they saw what happened. Over and over, Joshua is a story of obedience to the faithful one. Following the faithful one. See, when God asks us to step out in faith for a task, and that task succeeds, who gets the glory? He does. Because it's something that was beyond us, something that was bigger than us, something that had to have faith to happen. And so God wants to make it very clear, He is delivering the land to His people. He is the hero of the story. When we do things under our own power, and it's so easy to just say, I can do things on on my own strength. I can choose what to do. I can decide what to do. And then if that happens, yeah, we might say, thank you, God, for allowing that to happen, but we know that that was our idea. We know that this is something I could have done. And we don't trust God. Follow the faithful one. Obey the faithful one. Joshua obeyed God because he trusted God. Philip Keller said about Joshua, his entire brilliant career was a straightforward story of simply setting down one foot after another in quiet compliance with the commands of God. Joshua obeyed whatever God said to do. God said go, he went. God said cross the Jordan, he did it. Not knowing what the rest of the future hold, but just step by holds, but step by step saying, God said it, I'm going to do it. And that led to what this man calls a brilliant career. Faith leads to obedience, whereas disobedience is always rooted in distrust for who God is. I don't believe God's commands. So I'm not going to do them. So a theme we'll see is obedience. Obedience. We'll see a covenant renewed over and over where God said, obey me, don't stray. And I will bless what you're doing. If you do not, you will be judged. And whereas for us, God hasn't promised us a land. And we want to be careful not to take Joshua and say, okay, I'm going to stake out my part near Jerusalem. This was instructions for the people. But what we can learn from this is how God leads his people and how he expects his people to follow him. And so when we see the people obeying God, that should be a theme that resonates with us to say, I need to follow God well. I need to seek his guidance It's His leading that I'm following, not my own. And and in fact, in another story, we'll see the people forgot to seek God's guidance. And it ended disastrously. Because God is the one that is leading them. God is the one that is leading us today. He's the one that wants to lead you right now where you're sitting. To say, this is what I want you to do. He wants to lead our church. And Joshua is a story of following that leading. It's not our plan. 
It's not my plan that I should be pursuing after and then praying that God will somehow support me. It's asking God, what is your plan? What do you want me to do? And then me coming and being part of his plan and supporting his plan. But don't, don't we do that? We, we have ideas and say, oh, God, I want this job. Or God, I, I want this to happen. And we, and we, not that those things are bad, but we elevate those to be equal with God's plan. And then we pray, God, will you do that for us? And we've switched roles. We've become God and we've made him our servant. And that, that, that sounds harsh, but so many times I'm convinced that when we pray that, that we're not coming under the authority of God, but we're simply asking God to fulfill our wishes. And the story of Joshua is about God saying, this is what you're going to do. This is what I want you to do. Will you follow me? Whether you like it or not, whether you understand it or not. We need to leave God on the throne. Trust Him and follow Him. And remember, we are His servants. Third theme that we'll see is God's holiness and righteous justice. God's holiness and righteous justice. Holiness meaning a separateness from evil. A separateness from those things that are are keeping His people from following Him. Those things that are in rebellion to Him. And so at times through Joshua, we're going to deal with some very difficult passages where God says you need to wipe out this people completely. This pagan people that have rejected Me. At times he's going to say, in fact, those are dedicated to me for destruction because they have rebelled against me. And those are hard passages. And as we go through them, we'll explain how to interpret them and how to understand them. But we have to remember their worship. We have to remember that they are in direct rebellion against God. And God desires to cleanse His land. Deuteronomy 20, 16-18 describes this. But in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God has given you for inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes. But you shall devote them to complete destruction. And he goes through the list in verse 18. That they may not teach you to do according to all their abominable practices that they have done for their gods. And so you sin against the Lord your God. And we struggle with this, but yet we know that the wages of sin for every one of us is death. This isn't out of the ordinary. When we rebel against God, the result of that that we have have justly earned is death. And that's not new. That was true in the Old Testament as well. And so as we see these stories and wrestle with them, don't forget to wrestle with the fact that God hates sin and that He is holy. And except for Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross, we would be destined for destruction as well. Fourth theme there is leadership. Leadership. And we'll see how Joshua followed the leadership of Moses and then how he led. We'll see God's instructions to him to be strong and courageous. And we'll see that Joshua succeeded. And the key to his success, his devotion to following God. His devotion to following the faithful one. How do we study Joshua? And I end with this. 
We have some options. We could study it just as a history book, and it is completely accurate in its history. But that's not the intention of, of it being part of God's Word. We know that all Scripture is given for instruction, but more than that, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. And this is part of Scripture. And th- one of the keys to me is understanding how the, the Hebrews viewed this book. When they organized the Old Testament, you had the Pentateuch, the law, and then you had the, the older prophets or the f- former prophets. And Joshua was considered a book of prophecy. Think about that for a minute. Not history, but prophecy that contained history. Not saying that it was telling the future, but that it was God's word to be applied to today's life. It was designed to convict, not merely inform. It was designed to spur action. And so as we read through it, we're going to say, what does this say about God, His character? What does this say about how He wants to lead His people? What does this say about how we follow Him? Because studying through the book of Joshua should change us. Should make us a people that are willing to follow his lead. A people that are willing to step out in faith for the faithful one. It's our goal as a church. As we talk about God using the church for his purposes this year, we go through Joshua to see how God led his people in the Old Testament. And how they could respond and be part of what he was doing. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father. I pray that you'd be with us as we study through this wonderful book of the Old Testament. That you would challenge us. That you would step on our toes of how we sometimes don't follow your leadership. How we should follow your leadership. Lord, I pray that you would use this study to inform, but more than that, to challenge us. To convict us to our very souls. Lord, we praise you for your word. In Jesus' name.